Turn with me uh, in your Bibles to the book of Amos, Amos chapter 8. We're going to be looking at the first eight verses, verses 1 through 8, Amos 8, 1 through 8. And we'll be continuing our study through this book. We actually are getting close to the end. Uh, The book has nine chapters, and so we are uh, almost to the end of it. But let's go ahead and begin with a word of prayer today. Lord, we thank you so much for your kindness to us. We thank you even um, as we have the opportunity to sing about these ancient words. We know that the words of Scripture are life-giving words. We know that they are sufficient, and we know that your word is effective in our hearts so that the work that the word accomplishes will never return void. And so we pray that you might help us now as we look at Scripture, that we might be encouraged by it, that our hearts may rejoice in what we find in it, and that we would conform ourselves to it and be comforted by it. We pray this in Christ's name. Amen. The scamming industry is a multi-billion dollar per year industry. And unfortunately, the scamming industry, if that were not bad enough, is an industry that focuses in on the weakest and the poorest among us. You've all heard of scams where a scammer calls and gets a person to send them hundreds or even thousands of dollars through the mail and cash. And sometimes you may wonder to yourself, how could someone possibly be that gullible to send cash through the mail to someone? And I watched, uh, a couple years ago, we, we watched um, uh, a video uh, explaining one of the many strategies that are used by scammers to accomplish this. And um, it helped me understand a little bit uh, why someone could go ahead and do this. And uh, for this particular scam that we saw, this um, guy will call usually an elderly person. And in this particular case, uh, we heard this guy calling this elderly woman, and he pretended to be from some company like Amazon or something like that. And he tells her that he is trying to pay her money, reimburse her or she was overcharged by something on Amazon or whatever it might be. And so now they have to pay her back some money. So her guard is kind of down already because the phone call is, we're here to pay you something. And so what happens is he dials into her computer and he puts a a false interface in front of her. Nothing is connected to her bank. Nothing is real. It's all just uh, fake. And the interface in front of her, he says, okay, can you please type in, we owe you $200 or whatever it is, and um, I just need you to type in the $200 and hit okay, and then it will make the transfer and you'll have the $200. And so this woman is typing in $200, and at the very last minute before she clicks okay, the guy, because he's dialed into her computer, hits an extra zero on the, the keyboard, and it appears to the lady as if Amazon made a transfer of $2,000 to her account, okay? And so now the man 
um, who is an actor at this point and has rehearsed his line a thousand times, he just lays it on thick. Oh, man, I, oh, no, what happened? You, what's, and $2,000, it was supposed to be 200 and she's, oh, I'm so sorry, I didn't mean to do that, I'm, I must have fumbled, and he had done it the whole time, and, oh, ma'am, you're like a grandmother to me, what am I going to do, I'm going to lose my job, and how, how can I make this right? And after this back and forth, back and forth, back and forth, um, and he just really lays it on, and, and she feels guilty, and she's even like saying things like, oh, I'm so foolish, I'm so stupid, and all this kind of stuff. Well, you can make, can you send us some money? Yes, anything, anything. I'll send it to make it right. And so this lady, you know, goes to the bank or whatever, and she puts whatever the amount is, $2,000, $5,000 in an envelope, and she ships it off. And then from there, the scammers have a whole network of people that pick up the package and send it to them, and they all get a cut of it, and so on and so forth. You listen to, uh, and, and, and those are available to listen to online. You could hear some of those uh, phone calls. And you, you listen to the fake sympathy that these guys are using. You, you listen to their con artist's skills, their acting skills, and you hear them saying in the kindest language possible some of the nicest things that you could ever say to another person about how much they care about them and love them, and it just makes you want to wring their neck and say, what is wrong with you? Why would you take advantage of someone in this way, particularly someone in this particular lady's position who is struggling to make ends meet to begin with? And that righteous anger, and I will say that it is a righteous anger that you feel towards that person, but that righteous anger that you feel when you hear about one of these stories is only a fraction of an anger that the Lord feels. This is why in today's passage, the Lord says this, Hear this, you who trample on the needy, and bring the poor of the land to an end, surely I will never forget any of your deeds. In today's passage, the Lord expresses his righteous anger at the nation of Israel because they trample on the needy. They scam the poor and the needy. The people in Israel are pictured as... Uh, these, these scammers, so to speak, are pictured as eagerly anticipating the next time they can exploit someone for profit. And so I want to look at the passage in front of us today, really in three sections. We're going to see a vision in verses 1 through 3. We're going to see the guilt of these Israelites, and then we'll see the consequence in the final two verses of the passage. Let's go ahead and read it today. We're in Amos 8. And we'll look at verses 1 through 8. This is what the Lord God showed me. Behold, a basket of summer fruit. And he said, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. Then the Lord said to me, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never again pass by them. The songs of the temple shall become wailings in that day, declares the Lord God. So many dead bodies, they are thrown everywhere. Silence. Hear this, you who trample on the needy 
and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath that we may offer wheat for sale, that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals and sell the chaff of the wheat? The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, Surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account, and everyone mourn who dwells in it, and all of it rise like the Nile, and be tossed about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt? In verses 1 through 3, we have the vision in front of us. And two weeks ago, you may recall that we saw three warning visions from the Lord to Amos. And last week was a little bit of a a hiatus or a break here between the visions. We saw an accusation from the high priest Amaziah. And this week, we now are returning to God's warning visions. And we are going to take a look today at the fourth vision, the one about the basket of summer fruit. And the connection between summer fruit... And God's judgment may not be readily apparent, but I think the connection is rather simple and straightforward, and once you see it, I think it will make plenty of sense. So we read in verse 1, the Lord shows Amos, he says, behold, a basket of summer fruit, and he says, you know, Amos, what do you see? And I said, a basket of summer fruit. And then somehow that vision is connected to the next statement, This basket of summer fruit somehow connects to this statement by the Lord, the end has come upon my people Israel, and I will never again pass by them. A basket of summer fruit is a basket of what kind of fruit? Ripe fruit. The the fruit is ripe. It is ready to eat. And this is quite simply the meaning in our passage today. When the Lord compares Israel to a basket of ripe fruit, the Lord is saying that Israel, like the fruit, is also ripe. Ripe for what? For judgment. And just like the Lord showed Amos this basket of ripe fruit, he says in the same way Israel is ripe for judgment. And that's why he simply says in the next, uh, right after the, the vision here, he says, the end has come. The end has come upon my people Israel. I mean, this imagery, we all know what ripe fruit is, but it may not quite hold the same meaning for us because, you know, many of us get our fruit from the grocery store and we don't think that fruit has to grow and mature at all. It just is there right on the shelves. And yet, Fruit will grow all year long, depending on when uh, the the fruit may mature, some fruit in summer and some in fall. Uh, But you go and let's say you're waiting all spring and all summer and finally you get to the end of summer and maybe there's a certain kind of apple that becomes ripe at that particular time and you pick that apple and, and you eat that ripe fruit. Well, that has had a season of maturity all year or for several months growing and growing and growing towards uh, the time when it is ready to eat. And in the same way that this fruit, over the course of months, is growing in maturity, so to speak, Israel, too, 
compared to this example, is also growing in maturity, but it's not a good kind of maturity. They're not growing up in righteousness, but they are growing in increasing wickedness and increasingly unrepentant hearts. And finally, when their sin and when their unrepentant hearts has reached critical mass, the Lord says, ah, you're ripe now, ripe for judgment. You're ripe for me to come upon you. I've waited and delayed, and I've given you opportunity after opportunity to repent. I've said, seek me and live again and again and again, and yet you continue to grow and mature in greater and greater wickedness. And so finally, they are now ready for judgment. And in case, again, the imagery is not as clear as um, to you, he simply says it very straightforwardly, the end has come upon my people Israel. I will never pass by them. The end has come. That's what I mean by this imagery is that the end has come upon you. The Lord is saying that his mercy and that his patience has reached an end. Israel has failed to seek him. Israel has failed to repent. Israel has failed to stop sinning. And because of this, we see some rather grotesque imagery in verse 3. He says that their worship songs will turn into wailings. Instead of making music, worshipful music to the Lord, that sound is going to be replaced with people screaming, people wailing, people crying, because the wrath of God is hot. He says also in this verse that there will be so many dead bodies everywhere, thrown everywhere, that you cannot deal with them all. See that in verse 3? He says, so many dead bodies, they are thrown everywhere. Silence. (laughs) You can't even, how are you going to possibly even bury all these people? There's just so much carnage because of the sin of Israel. Now, why such a harsh reality? It is because of the seriousness of the sin of Israel in verses 4 through 6. Now, he gives a list here of their moral infractions. And of course, we may be by this time getting tired of lists of sin in Amos because that's what half of the book is, it seems like. He gives this list and that list and another list. And he says, you're responsible for this and you're accountable to this and then you did this and you did that. And yet we have another one here in chapter 8. And it seems like every chapter there's just more and more and more. And so this list... Begins in verse 4, and he says, Hear this, you who trample on the needy, and bring the poor of the land to an end, saying, When will the new moon be over, that we may sell grain, and the Sabbath, that we may offer wheat for sale, that that we may make the ephah small and the shekel great, and deal deceitfully with false balances, that we may buy the poor for silver and the needy for a pair of sandals, and sell the chaff of the wheat." What is going on here is that Israel was trampling over the needy and the poor. They were scamming, we might say, the needy and the poor. And then he quotes them as saying, when will the new moon and the Sabbath be over? In other words, 
Israel was observing the religious festivals. They were observing the Sabbath like they were supposed to. They, they, they did all of these rituals as God had commanded them to do. And yet their hearts were not in it because they sat there and they couldn't wait to get out and continue oppressing people. That's why they say, when, when will the new moon be over? When will the Sabbath be over? Today, someone might say, when will the sermon finally be done so I can go out and make some more money? I have some business transactions to deal with this afternoon. When will church let out? That's kind of the idea here. And Israel, they, they were even worse than this because they wanted to get out so that they could go and oppress more people. They're sitting here, you know, getting restless. Then when is this festival going to be over? We've got to oppress more people so we can get more money. You see in verse 5, their specific desire here, and that was to sell wheat and to make the ephah small and the shekel great. What are they doing here when it says they want to make the ephah small and the shekel great? Uh, when I was in school, there was a, um, uh, a girl in our class who worked at a local grocery store, and I overheard her one time uh, telling how she would, um, if someone came, if one of her friends came to the grocery store and they were buying something that involved weighing it on a scale, she would kind of take the item and, you know, here's the scale here, and she would take half of it off scale and kind of support it with her hand here. In other words, so that the item weighed less than it really did so that she could give her friends a, a, a deal or a discount. Um, that is what the Bible calls a false balance. She was ripping off the store in order to give her friends a discount. Proverbs, again, calls this a false balance. And God actually despises a false balance, we're told. And that is exactly what's going on here in our text in Amos, except it's going in the other direction. They were using the smaller weights. See, it says that he, they use both. They use a small weight and a, and a large weight. They use the smaller weight to measure out the goods, the product, thus giving the customer less. And then they would use the larger weights when it came to measuring out the price, thus charging the customer more. Giving them less, charging them more. A false balance. In fact, it says that here in the last line of verse 5. It says that they did deal deceitfully with false balances. And of course, there is no shortage of passages in the Bible that deal with this particular issue. We'll look at just a couple of them here. But you have, of course, uh, Leviticus 19. You shall do no wrong in judgment, in measures of length or weight or quantity. You shall have what kind of balances? Just balances. Just weights. A just ephah. A just hin. And then he simply... 
One of the themes in Leviticus is where you see this, I am the Lord. Why, sh- why should I? Why should I have a just balance? I am the Lord. Be quiet. I am holy. Do as I command. Deuteronomy 25 is another passage. You shall not have in your bag two kinds of weights, a large and a small. You shall not have in your house two kinds of measures, a large and a small. A full and fair weight you shall have, a full and fair measure you shall have, that your days may be long in the land that the Lord God has given you. For all who do such things, all who act dishonestly, are what? An abomination to the Lord your God. Those who deal with false balances are an abomination to God. Proverbs 11 and verse 1. A false balance is an abomination to the Lord, but a just weight is his delight. Proverbs 16.11. A just balance and scales are the Lord's. All the weights in the bag are his work. Proverbs 20 in verse 10. Unequal weights and unequal measures are both alike a what? An abomination to the Lord. And of course, there are plenty more. I just chose a few of the verses from Scripture. The sin that is highlighted in today's text, the predominant sin, we're going to apply this to ourselves, the predominant sin in our passage today is the sin of unequal weights and measures. I opened up with an illustration of scammers doing this. And all of us can look at a scammer and say, yeah, that's, obviously that's wrong. I would never do such a thing like that. But this happens every day in America, and most people don't even think twice about it. Okay? I'm going to give to you a few different ways in which we deal with false weights today. Okay, the first one and actually one of the biggest ways that this happens is through inflation. You put $10 in your bank account today, and it's worth $8 tomorrow. This is, this is done by the government, this is a false balance. I'm going to give to you, uh, the, 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 there's a book called Idols for Destruction, and uh, it's a great book. It's got a good little section on the evils of inflation, the moral evils of inflation. I'm just going to give to you a sampling of some of these uh, quotes from this chapter that I thought were helpful and applied to this particular passage. But he says here, when we understand that there is no economic difference between flooding the nation with money from a counterfeiter's presses and doing the same thing with money from the official press, we begin to uh, comprehend the nature of modern inflations. Then he says this, they have discovered what the Roman emperors who debased the coinage knew. Such policies are profitable to governments. As a society that inflates its currency tampers with a moral value. And of course, there's more in that chapter that I'd encourage you to go and read. But this thing has an advantage. It is advantageous for the government. And thus, we are recipients of this devaluing and this unfair, unjust weight. Inflation is one of the ways that our society violates this command today. 
I'm going to give you some other examples. Some of these examples, you might say that sounds a little bit silly, okay, and minor. I think it's an example nonetheless. Manufacturers who intentionally design their products to break after a certain period of time so that the consumer will come back and purchase another product deals with unequal weights and measures. They give the consumer less and they charge more for it. Okay? Um, I'm not talking about, there's, okay, we understand that there's something that the scientists call entropy. Everything is breaking down, okay? I'm not talking about the normal breaking down of stuff, okay? I'm talking about a manufacturer who knows how to design something well and purposefully and intentionally design something to break, okay? I'm on the third washing machine in my marriage, and I'm tired of it, okay? <laughs> I'm, in, I'm tired of spending money on washing machines every five years, okay? And I, <laughs> and I know that they can make them last 30 and 40 years. I know they can. And I know they can make them last that long for the same price that I'm paying now for the one that lasts two or three years, okay? And again, I I understand things break down, okay? I'm not referring to that normal lifespan of stuff. I'm talking about someone who intentionally gives you less and charges more for it, okay? Businesses who keep the same size box but slowly put less and less cereal in it to trick customers, right? (laughs) That bothers me. (laughs) Is that... There's some deception going on there, right? There's some trickery going on there, okay? Maybe you may say it's minor, okay? But there's some trickery going on to, to, to... I... Anything I buy, crackers, chips, cereal, the box is this tall and it's like that much of stuff in it. <laughs> and I'm trying to figure out what happened. <laughs> okay, this is, this, is some, this, is, this is deception. Liquidators do this. When they mark an item as $100, cross it out. $75, cross it out. $65, cross it out, and then they put $49.99, when in reality, the item was never that price to begin with. The price was always $49.99, and yet there's a kind of deception here to think, oh, it's a steal, it's a good deal, I better pick this up now. Clothing stores do this when they have a year-round, every single day sale, and everything is always 75% off. There's some stores that you go in, and it's always constantly year-round 75% off. It never was at all. The 75% off is the 100% price. And it's, oh, I better buy this today because this deal might not be here tomorrow. Hyping up products, lying about products, making outlandish claims, and so on and so forth contribute to the violation of this principle of having a just weight and a just measure. We ought then to be honest in our business dealings, give people a fair product for a fair price, and call it a day. Be done. This is, what I'm, this is the work I'm going to do for you or the product I'm going to give to you, and this is the price that I'm going to charge you for it. And I'm not going to hype it up or make it uh, deceive you or anything. This is, this is what it is. 
You want to pay that price for it? Fine. If not, fine. But this is just what it is. We ought to be honest and careful in conducting our businesses and our transactions. This applies to everyone, not just business owners, but everyone. Conducting ourselves in a way that honors Christ, reflects the gospel, and not in a way that looks like the world. The Lord is our provider. Okay? He's going to take care of us. We don't, we don't have to resort to lying, deception, an unjust weight. Simply do what you say and say what you do. Israel, on the other hand, cared only about profit margins. That's all they cared about. They were so eager to get out of church and back in front of their false scales. They were so eager to get back to say, we've got these weights and these weights and these weights, and we're ready to go and begin to oppress people. Then we see in verse 6 that they took this exploitation even to the level of human trafficking where they bought and sold people. And all of this brings us to a rather stark reality because there is a consequence that is given to us in the final two verses, and that is this. In verses 7 through 8, we read, The Lord has sworn by the pride of Jacob, Surely I will never forget any of their deeds. Shall not the land tremble on this account, and everyone mourn who dwells in it, and all of it rise like the Nile and be tossed out and about and sink again like the Nile of Egypt? What a what a scary thing to hear. I will never forget any of their deeds. I will never forget any of their deeds. Compare and contrast that to the gospel. I will remember their sins no more. There is forgiveness in Jesus Christ. There is forgiveness in the gospel. But these people would not repent. God had given them opportunity after opportunity after opportunity. And he promises, because you will not repent, I will remember your sins and I will deal with you. In fact, so hard is this saying that the whole land trembles and is tossed about like the Nile River. This is not as bad as it gets, by the way. Next week, Lord willing, we are going to see that things get so bad that the Lord says, I'm going to give you a famine in Israel. But it's not going to be a famine of food. It's going to be a famine of the word of God. I'm going to remove my prophets and my word from among you as a form of judgment. But in the meantime, what are we to make of today's passage? Well, the biggest point of application, I think, and the one that stands out above the rest, is the reality that we need to abhor false weights and false measures. 
That's what stands out here as the sin that is highlighted by the Lord in this passage. The Lord asks rhetorically in Micah chapter 6 and verse 11, Shall I acquit the man with wicked scales and a bag of deceitful weights? Should I let him off the hook? Should I let that man go? Israel had been given multiple, multiple opportunities to repent. And they failed to do so. You know, this this generation of Israelites, they're never going to be able to say to the Lord, but we didn't know. We didn't know. Nobody in this room is ever going to be able to say, we didn't know. I didn't know. You know. It's here. The wrath of the Lord is nothing to mess with. His anger is hot. And yet in all of this, he gives opportunities for repentance and grace. The Lord called Israel back to himself in the book of Amos so many times that one wonders and marvels at the patience of God. By the way, that should have practical effects in your life where you're patient with others. You will never, no one will ever sin against you more than you've sinned against God. And yet God was so patient with you. What we find in our present culture is that all of the philosophies of the world and the value system of the world, all of these things have slowly eroded our view of man so that human life is cheap today. Things like abortion, euthanasia, suicide, murder, human trafficking, and on and on and on it goes, happen all the time across the world. These things are happening at this very moment while we're having a church service today. If people are not made in the image of God, what prevents us from treating people like scum? If worldly values and philosophies... Darwinian evolution, existentialism, critical theory, and so on are true, then what prevents us from stomping all over people as if they were worms? What prevents us from wringing their necks as if they were merely a nuisance pest? One writer described this as when you have all of these worldly values that cheapen human life, The human becomes essentially like a chicken that has outlived its usefulness. And so once it no longer produces eggs for me anymore, I can just wring its neck. This is where we are in society. This is where we are in culture. Our culture is not so different from the Israelites in the days of Amos. Our ways of having false balances and scales and trampling over people may be more democratic than Israel's were. 
our ways of trampling over people today might be more, quote-unquote, sanitary, less messy. They happen in hospital rooms instead of out on the street. But it does not make these things any better than what Israel was doing. From time to time, I wonder whether America or the world is like the basket of summer fruit. It's ripe for judgment. Of course, that is the Lord's business and the Lord's timing. I don't know. But I want to encourage us with something. I want to bring up a theme here today. Those of you men who joined us for Shepherd's Conference know that the theme of Shepherd's Conference this year centered around the remnant, centered around the fact that it is the normal pattern of history that God's people constitute a remnant of the world a small portion of people who will be saved. The New Testament talks about the remnant by saying that the way and the gate is narrow that leads to life. And the way and the gate that leads to destruction is broad. It is wide. There's many people walking down that path and there's few people walking down the path to life. Here's what I want to encourage us with. Even if, and I know, I know some of us worry about these things, even if America, the world, whatever country, even if it is a basket of ripe summer fruit, remember that in the book of Amos, even in the book of Amos, that the Lord extended his op- this opportunity to seek me and live, even in that. I don't know what's going to happen in our nation. Seek the Lord and live. You don't have to fear being swept away into judgment because the Lord knows those who are his. And the Lord is able even when look at the flood. The Lord was able to take eight people and preserve them when he swept his judgment over the face of the world. And the Lord can and will do the same today. You know he doesn't get confused. He doesn't say oh, can't, um, is Marino one of mine or not? I'm not sure. He, does, he doesn't get confused with this kind of stuff. He knows who are his. Even if the Lord extends, we, may, we probably should say when the Lord extends his hand of judgment against our nation, which I think it is in part going on now in, in some ways, but even if it comes in a big wave like we may think in the, 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 the biblical days, even if, even when, we can find refuge and solace and comfort in Jesus Christ. 
You don't have to be swept away in judgment. There is an ark where you can escape the flood. And the name of that ark is Jesus Christ. Christ atones. Christ forgives. And it is done once and for all. There is no reason to have an ongoing atonement. There is no reason, as the Roman Catholics suggest, to bring Christ down from heaven every Sunday at the Mass and re-sacrifice him again and again and again and again. There is no requirement for you to, to exercise penance to forgive you for your sins. 1 John 1.9 simply says, confess, and he forgives. It's not more complicated than that. Not harder than that. There's no more additional hoops that you have to jump through than that. It is the faithfulness of our Lord. And so I want to apply this passage today in just two ways. The first point of application is this. To reject unequal weights and measures by being honest in all your business transactions and by treating every human as an image bearer of God. What, what I'm saying here is in the passage, we have the unjust weights in terms of financial profits. You are to be honest in your business dealings. But we also saw how they were trampling over people by selling them. And so you can have unequal weights and measures in terms of your relationship with other people. We are all image bearers of God. Okay? People don't need to be treated differently because of their ethnicity, because of their socioeconomic status, because of any other classification. People are people. And they're made in the image of God, and we treat all people like that. That's point of application number one. Point number two, find hope in the fact that you can be part of God's remnant through faith and trust in Jesus Christ, and therefore be, avoid being swept away in God's judgment. Find hope in that. If you don't know Christ as your Savior, then find hope in this by repenting and believing on Christ. Because you will be swept away in God's judgment. Just like the Lord knows everyone who's his, he knows everyone who's not his. And if you are in Christ, go back to the gospel. <laughs> Thank you, God. There's hope here. It's hard. It's, e- it's easy to become, the whole world is falling apart. <laughs> What's going on? Is there even any... Uh, in vain, I've, I've kept my hands clean. <laughs> No, the Lord knows and the Lord cares. Find hope in him. He's sufficient. Thank you, God, for your grace to us. We thank you for the gospel. We thank you for its sufficiency. We thank you for this passage that is not light on sin. And yet we thank you that there is a way that you have provided so that you will remember our sins no more. And that is Christ. I pray that if there be anyone who does not know Christ, that they would repent and believe on him. We pray that you'd encourage us, those of us here, I hope everyone, the believer in Christ. But I pray that you'd encourage us, knowing that we are a remnant that was 
um, produced because of grace, not because of merit. And so we thank you for these things. Encourage our hearts today, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.